On my family's farm, much like any other farm, there are various types of equipment. Now certainly there's different purposes for the types of equipment, but one of the things that you'll also notice is that there are different generations. That there are some tractors on our farm that are many decades old. There are some that are only a few years, and then there are some that fall in between. If I asked you to assess their value or tell me which one we liked best, I dare say you might be quickly misled. Because oftentimes, whenever our eyes and our human condition look at these kinds of things, even tractors, no matter what they might be, you might start to look at the appearance. You might start to see the old international harvester that still runs on gas and is completely rusted. And you might start to say that one's not worth as much as the new cab tractor. But indeed, it's not quite the way it appears. Then in fact, our favorite tractor might be somewhere in the middle of that. But nonetheless, we do like to judge on appearance. And oftentimes in our human condition, we're looking at the good, the bad, the different things that are in our life. We're trying to tease them out and tear them apart to try to figure out what is good, what is bad, and all of these different things. And today's gospel, as we're going through these series of parables in the Gospel of Matthew, we're already seeing another picture of what it's like to live this life and to find out what is the good, what is the bad. Are we able to tease them out, or are we going to have to deal with some mixture of the two? Then, in fact, this parable this morning answers that question. We hear from the Book of Wisdom for our first reading this morning, and Wisdom is a book that is presumed to be written by Solomon. And this book really lives up to its title quite well, that it tells us all these bits of wisdom, what makes a person truly wise. And so often it's different bits of wisdom that make a person at least live life well, these different bits of practical advice. But today it's actually wrestling with a difference, that it's trying to figure out the Lord our God. Then, in fact, it's trying to go through because there are these two things in God that seem like they would not be mixed together, and yet they still are. That we see a God of justice and of might, but also a God that has something else. Because we hear at the very beginning that this is a God who is not unjust in his judgments. We hear that this is a God of might. This is a God of majesty. We hear that this is a God above every other God who's created everything. And that might start to get our mind rolling, and it might even start to get us thinking that this God must be a tyrant. If he has all, he would abuse power. If he had everything under his control, he would bend everything into submission. But this isn't that kind of God. This is not a tyrant at all. Instead, this sort of catchphrase and this, this reading, it really seeks to lay out exactly what our, the Lord our God does with his might and majesty, that he's not just a God of might and majesty in name, but he truly is, because he uses that power, that might, that glory for leniency. He is a just God. He gives to everyone what they deserve, but the thing is, he really doesn't necessarily marry himself to that. He doesn't hold to that all the time. But instead, he wants to practice two things, leniency and clemency. This doesn't seem like it would fit, and yet nonetheless, the Book of Wisdom is telling us that this is a God that is so great that he's willing to forgive, and he's willing to give us remission of our sins, and even hope. Truly, there's something unparalleled and unprecedented in this reading, but nonetheless, it shows just how great our God is, that even in the midst of his might and majesty, he's not so consumed with those things as to forget his mercy and the ways that he can practice clemency, that forgiveness and leniency for each of us. 
We move on and we hear from St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, and this letter in particular is addressed to that church in Rome. If we know the historical context of Rome, we know very well that Rome is a powerhouse at this time, that it lords over all the other nations, and it boasts itself on one thing, strength. That it always wants to appear as if it has everything figured out, everything is under its control, everything is under submission to this nation. And indeed, to some degree, that's true, at least for some time. But as St. Paul's speaking to the Romans, he wants to remind them that it's not all about strength in this life. As consumed as the Romans might be with being consumed about all this strength, all this might, all the different things that they can do, then in fact the Spirit works in an altogether different way. That he starts to speak of weakness. And he even admits right up front, we know not how to pray. That we do not have it all figured out. That if we are truly honest with ourselves, that we really don't quite know perfectly what we are to say to God our Father. But he's okay with that, because then the Spirit enters in. We know not how to pray as we ought, and that's something that might be anxiety-inducing, at least on the surface. And yet, St. Paul is speaking to them and telling them that even in the midst of this weakness, the Spirit comes through. That if you're living in righteousness, the Spirit will be there interceding for you. Notice, not with you, for you that the Spirit will be saying what you need to say, those inexpressible groanings, all of those things that we might want to say but we know not how to say them, or we just don't know where to turn. The Spirit is there if we're but faithful. Then finally we arrive at the Gospel according to Matthew, where we've been having one parable per Gospel in the last few weeks. We are having three today. And if we go through them in reverse order, we see this kind of progression. That We start to see that Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven can be likened to a woman who mixed in yeast with three measures of flour, and the entire batch was leavened. That all these good works that she put in, all of a sudden they yielded something that was much different. Something of a levity, that it, they elevated life to a different degree. Then there's the mustard seed. That it's the smallest of all seeds, and yet when fully grown, it is the largest of plants. That everything that we do in this life has to be faithful. If we but have faith, we will see great results. Then finally we have this parable, and it's of the weeds in the wheat field. And it kind of dovetails onto last week. We heard about the sower who went out to sow, but this one is focused on the enemy who's sowing alongside. So we're told that the master goes out, this man, he goes out and sows good seed in his field, and then everyone goes to bed for the evening. During that night, an enemy comes up, and he starts to sow weeds within the wheat. Unless we think that this is ridiculous or an uncommon occurrence, Roman law at this time dealt with this very situation. It was actually very common and very seriously dealt with because it was something that they did all the time. But nonetheless, we're told that eventually these seeds both grow together, the good and the bad, and eventually the servants realize what's happened, and they go to their master and tell him, what has happened? You sowed good seed. Where did all the weeds come from? And the master replies, an enemy has done this. So they ask, the servants are quick on their feet. They're wondering what to do. And they say, maybe we can go out and we can pick out the weeds and we can let the wheat grow. But it's already too late and the master is very wise. He knows that they must grow alongside each other. And so he tells them not to pull them up, but wait until harvest when the harvesters will take care of that. 
where they'll separate the good from the bad. They'll put the good into barns and throw the bad away. And at the very end of this gospel, Jesus is speaking very powerfully when he tells what these these different images mean. He's telling about how the good seed are the children of God, how the Son of Man goes out and spreads those freely. But also there are children of the evil one, of the devil, the ones who are only concerned with his works of corruption. And so they both grow alongside. And at the end of time, they will be separated out, where the good will be gathered into the kingdom of heaven, and the bad will be cast into eternal fire. But there's actually another part to this gospel as well, and it's something that we might miss if we don't go back to the Greek. Because the Greek that is used for this word weeds, it actually speaks of a specific type. It's this plant that is called a bearded darnel, and it's something that's very insidious to wheat that it looks very much like wheat, at least in the infancy stages and as it grows along. And it wasn't until the very end that even the most experienced farmer would be able to tell that there was a difference. And bearded darnel is not good for human consumption. In fact, it's very intoxicating, and if consumed in too great a quantity, ultimately it will cause one to perish. So it had to be separated out. That it had to be burned so it would never come back again and never spread its seed. And the good had to be harvested. And so that could only happen at the end of time. So in fact, this is a very powerful parable because Jesus is telling us that there is so much to life that in fact, if we look out and we look at the wheat field, we may not be able to tell the difference until the end of time. But in this parable, so often in life, we want to be able to separate the good from the bad. That we want to be able to take the good only, and we want to push the bad away. What exactly is this parable encouraging us to do? And how is it actually challenging us here today? Even as a people that might often assess value, try to slap what, or try to tell what's good, and maybe slap a label on what's bad. What are we supposed to do? There's three different levels, I think, that we should look at this parable on. That we should look from the perspective and the level of the individual, ourselves. We should look on the perspective of our neighbor. And finally, we should look at the perspective of our world. The first, we should look at this parable from the perspective of ourselves. The first, we need to realize that the harvest happens internally. That it is not a mistake that the church puts this parable on the heels of the one that happened last weekend. Because we're being told about that harvest that needs to be bountiful. But the harvest also happens within our souls. That we need souls that are cultivated and ready to receive good seed. But nonetheless, we know that there is a battle happening for each of our souls. It's the good seed versus the bad. It's Jesus versus the devil. And as much as we might feel that we are helpless in this battle, we have the ability to choose who is planting their seed within our hearts. Is it going to be Jesus, or is it going to be the devil? Because the seeds are going to look very much the same. They're going to function a lot in a very similar way. But ultimately, one is going to bring us fulfillment, health, and happiness, and the other is going to yield us a life of corruption. And I dare say we know who's going to sow which seed. That Jesus is going to bring us to fulfillment, whereas the devil is going to bring us to corruption. And so we oftentimes need to cultivate our soil, that we do need the help of the divine physician, the one who can tell us the seeds that are good and the seeds that are evil, the ones that can tease that out for us. And we go to reconciliation all the time to receive this help and this ability to be able to remove the seeds and make room for more weeds. Because we want to have seeds of wheat in our hearts. We want to have all those good deeds, all of those things that bring about a bountiful harvest. 
But there's another side to this on the individual level as well. We are a people who love a life that goes well. We like it when good things happen to good people. We like it whenever it seems like a person gets their just desserts, when a person is rewarded for good and punished for evil. But my brothers and sisters, we look out at the world today and we know that that doesn't happen. Even for us who are Christian disciples, who are often so faithful and so filled with this fidelity to the Lord our God, we know that sometimes it's going to seem like the Lord has forsaken us or that it seems like bad things are happening to good people. Indeed, maybe in your own life you can point to experiences of that. Does that mean the Lord is angry with us? Does that mean the Lord has forgotten us? Does that mean that the Lord is punishing us for what we're doing on this earth? Not even in the slightest. Because notice, the assessment doesn't happen until the very end of life. That Jesus does not promise us a life that is easy because we are a disciple. If that were the case, everyone would be in this church right now doing the exact same thing because it would make life so much easier. But that's not what is happening. Because oftentimes we know that we have to take the bad and the good. That in this life we know that good things will happen, yes, but bad things will also happen. The challenge for us is not to lose sight of the good in the midst of the bad. No matter how bad our life may seem, if we feel like we're worse than all the others, or that we've got a worse hand than everyone else, then nonetheless the Lord is sowing both bad and good. That in fact he's not he's not the one that's responsible for the bad the devil is the one who's responsible for that and all of those who do evil works that that's not what the lord wants he wants a good harvest for us but we know that that only comes to a reckoning at the end of time we need to be faithful right now in the midst of this time though then we can move on and we can look at this in the midst of our neighbor because there's an other lesson that we can learn here because as much as I pointed out early on that you could assess all of the tractors on my family farm by how they look or how they appear, I dare say you're going to be very misled. Because in fact, the ones that look a little bit worse for the wear are the ones we use all the time because they're the best ones. And indeed, even in our own life, we're going to encounter all sorts of people. We might hear this parable and we might think to ourselves, maybe I can go out and start to assess who is wheat and who is weed. Maybe I can tell who's good and who's bad. But that's not what the Lord is telling us. He tells us the harvesters are the ones who are going to take that over. The harvesters are the angels and the ones who are going to tease that out and separate the good from the bad at the end of time. But my brothers and sisters, we do ourselves such an incredible disservice in this life if we start to assess who is good and who is bad, who is wheat and who is weed. Because in fact, we don't know the inner workings of the heart. We don't know the soul of another. We are not able to tell, even on the surface level, what is going on deep in this person's spiritual life. If there's a battle struggling and they're struggling beyond belief, or if they're simply going on a hard way, or if they have it all figured out, we know not, and that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. He's telling us to forbear judgment and to leave that for those who are supposed to do it. We're simply supposed to love our neighbor. And then finally, we can look at this from the view of the world. It's no mistake and no mystery. We can look around, we can see this world as a whole, and we can start to wonder, why does it seem like evil has the upper hand? Why does it seem like bad things happen all the time? Why does it seem like the devil has the upper hand? Why are we always suffering so much in this world? Is God ultimately losing the battle? No, he's not. But in fact, we know that the harvest comes at the end of time. 
And the problem is, my brothers and sisters, we can look at this world as a whole, and we can start to try to assess it ourselves, but so many times when we do that, we start to go towards hopelessness. We start to despair. We start to be filled with fear and anxiety, because we feel that everything is not going the way that God intended. And so we start to try to control things ourselves, or we start to find ourselves in this downward spiral. But it's not so. The Lord has everything well in hand. The master knows what he is doing. The very same master who told the servants not to pull up the weeds because they would uproot the weeds. He told them to leave them until the end of time. And then we'll be able to make that assessment and that judgment, and everything will come to light. But we need not lose hope in this world. We need not despair. We need not surrender ourselves to the fear and anxiety that evil seems to be conquering the entire world. But we need to have faith that indeed there is a lot of weed out there. There are a lot of good things. There are a lot of signs of hope. And my brothers and sisters, God help us if we lose sight of that hope that is with us. We truly need to look around because there are good things. There is weeds. Sure, there are a lot of weeds out there too. But nonetheless, we should be a people of hope much like wisdom was telling us, and much like St. Paul was reminding the Romans, that even in, the wor in, in their worst moments, when they have not strength, that the Lord is there to help the righteous. And that's really the challenge of the parable of the weed, weeds in the field, that it's not up to us to decide or to cast judgment. It's not up to us to lose hope in this world. But really what we should be concerning ourselves with is having wheat sown in our hearts, concerning ourselves with those works of charity and those virtues, and continuing to immerse ourselves in the gift of faith. Because, my brothers and sisters, we could settle for appearances. We could start to look around, maybe at ourselves. We could start to despair that bad things happen. We could look at our neighbors and wonder why there's so much evil. We could even look at this entire world and become completely devoid of hope. But that's not what God calls us to do. Rather, he calls us to be the wheat, to go out and to be that fruit and that fruit that will last and bear so much fruit that even the weeds will be all but forgotten. My brothers and sisters, we need to have that gift of faith. We need to have that ability to look past appearances in this life, but we need to continue to strive for that wheat to grow in our hearts and our souls so that we may experience that joy and that fulfillment that comes, maybe not necessarily in this life, but in the time to come, whenever the harvest is complete. Jesus speaks very well to us that the harvest is there, that there are weeds and wheat in competition. My brothers and sisters, let's not concern ourselves with the battle, but let's continue to fight the good fight anyway and to seek to be that wheat and that fruit that bears fruit that will remain and last even through the harvest.